Well, you survived half of the holidays anyway. That's good. And guess what? We get to do some more eating today. And we're looking forward to that. And that white elephant thing is always a, a hit. And uh, there's some weird stuff in there. So we're looking forward to that. Let's look to God in a word of prayer again, please. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to be here today, to be alive, to breathe, to be able to thank and thank you and to praise you and to think about your son and how he died. Take the Lord's Supper and the songs we can sing. God, we are truly blessed. Thank you for each one who's here today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Happy New Year. You've heard that said. You probably have said it to someone this week even. What are we saying when we say that? Well, we hope that this new year is better than the year 2017. We verbally give them a blessing that their problems are behind them and blessings are in the future. Every year people stay up later than usual to see the old year go out and the new year come in. And we have a lot of ways to see the new year come in. <laughs> uh, we can stay up and watch the draw, ball drop in Times Square in New York. Or we can watch a strawberry, a pickle, or a sausage. Now, if you want to get a little better on that, well, you can go to Indiana. You can watch a watermelon drop tonight. How about a pine cone in Arizona? How about a beach ball in Florida? How about a peach drop in Georgia? Oh, I like this one. We can go to Plymouth, Wisconsin, and you can, find, and you can see or watch a thousand-pound piece of cheese drop. <laughs> well, the truth is, each one of us has hope of some kind of ex- expectation. The new one will be better. And, I, and Bill Vaughn said it this way, an optimist stays up till midnight to see the new year in. A pessimist stays up to make sure the old one leaves. Well, I think so, every one of us needs to take time to evaluate the old year going out and the new year coming in. We need to ask ourselves the questions. Number one, what do we want to see happen in 2018? What things need to change in 2018? I believe the Apostle Paul is telling us that if we are Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. He's telling us that we are are Christ's ambassadors. But what is your attitude toward the new year? Are you looking to, to 2018 as an unbeliever with no hope or... Or as a Christ ambassador with all the resources of heaven available to you to have an amazing new year. <coughs> Every year offers us a chance of a new beginning. Offers a new hope. But how many, how many of us really believe that? Or put ourselves in the position to receive it from God? Most people look forward to a new year for a new start. But the problem is... We take over, we carry with us some old habits and hang-ups. 
into the new year. A wife happened to be walking into the bathroom and her husband was there on the scales. Tuck his stomach really in. She said, that won't help. He said, yes, it does. I can't see the numbers unless I do. Uh, we make resolutions like, uh, like I quit this or I start this and uh, I'll start this. Or, but you know what? Resolutions most of the time don't even last the first month. A little boy asked his father what his New Year's resolution was and he, he said this, I, I'm going to make sure, do everything possible in this New Year to make his mother a very happy lady. The little boy asked the mother the same question. She said, to do everything possible, make sure your father keeps his resolution. If you don't believe anything will change in 2018, it won't. If you do nothing different, you will not see different results. You need to be reminded if you need to be reminded that you need God in your life to make a difference, you're in trouble. If you're trying to fix yourself, find someone else to blame, you're in trouble. 2018 will have a new purpose when we understand that without the Lord, 2018 will just be another year. Another resolution, another goal, but it won't be a new life. Our text today, Romans chapter 12, 9 through 11. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Uh, BJ looked that word up that word this morning in our discussion group, and that word has a, 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 not only hate, but a disgust. A disgust for evil. Cling to what is good. In love, of the bro- in love of the brother, be tenderly affectioned one to another. In honoring, preferring one another. In diligence, not slothful. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, here's a whole list of things. We're going to pick on three to deal with this morning. Uh, let's, let's consider it. Number one, love sincerely. Love must be sincere. Love without hypocrisy. This young lady wrote this letter to a boy she was engaged to and she broke it off. Here's what she said. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express my unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery. No, that's not sincere. Sincere love demonstrates love whether there is any money or not. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Well, now there are, there are faith, hope, and love. 
but of these the greatest is love. Love is greater than faith and hope. Love is the greatest good. It is the supreme good in life. God put us here to learn, get this, to love others. The greatest lesson we can learn on earth is the lesson of demonstrating sincere love. Now let's explain that a little, explain that a little bit more. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. I'm going to read it here. God loves you, chosen you as his own special people. <coughs> so be gentle, kind, humble, meek, and patient. Now, I like the next one there. Put up with each other. Do you know what that means? That means I have to put up with Larry. Or Larry has to put up with me. Now, Justin over here, I've got to put up with him too. But worse off, he's got to put up with me. You get the point? This verse is telling us we have to put up with each other. That's what love is. And still smile about it. I can put up with Larry if I don't like it. But that's not what this says. This says, I can put up with Larry, my brother over there, and love it with a smile. Now, let's get real about this. He says, be gentle, kind, humble, meek, and patient. Put up with each other. Now, I'm, I'm just telling you, and you know this too, the more you know about me, the more I know about you, the more I have to put up with. And the more you have to put up with me, isn't that true? Yeah, it is. And you just, you just learn, oh, why do they do that? What? You ever thought for a minute of the things you do? You ever call anybody weird? Well, I was weird. <laughs> Let's see. Arl and I were somewhere yesterday. And we made that statement. They were weird. Where were we? I, but then the thought entered my mind. What? Oh, yeah, we're in prison. That's right. Okay. That's right. <laughs> we're down in Canyon City. In prison, so yeah, okay. And we were, but you know, maybe the thought came to my mind maybe Arla and I are weird to them. So oh, I can't really, I should not voice that. I may feel, I shouldn't even feel that, okay? What does this verse say? And forgive one, anyone who does you wrong, just as Christ has forgiven you. Love is more important than anything else. Is what ties everything completely together. I like that. The next verse is this, 1 Peter 4, 8. And most of all, be warm in your love for one another, because in love there is forgiveness for sins without number. Another translation says, covers a multitude of sins. Now, it's not hard to understand these scriptures. We get that. Our problem is performance, doing it. We do not always love people deeply. Now, I'm going to say it, ask you a question right now. 
Now, I want you to take this in context. How's your love life? I'm not talking about you and your mate. I'm talking about you and people. How well do you demonstrate love to people? Now, this next part of the sermon, I, <clears throat> this is a, a story, and it's being told by an older uh, African-American lady. And, and so I'm, let me just tell you the story. But so I'm going to try to read as she would say it. It isn't how I talk, but it's how she did. All right. Tony Campolo in his book, There's Always Something Left to Love, tells about seeing a play entitled Raisin in the Sun. In the play, an African-American family inherits $10,000 from their father's life insurance policy. The mother of the house sees a chance to escape the ghetto life in Harlem and to move to the little house with the flower boxes out in the countryside. The brilliant daughter of the family sees the money the chance to give out, to live out her dream of going to medical school. Now, but the older brother has a plan that is difficult to ignore. He begs for the money so that he and his friend can go and minister together. He tells the family that with the money, he can make something of himself and make some good things good for the rest of them too. He promises that he can just have the money. He can give back to the family all the blessings their hard lives have denied them. Well, as you might expect, the so-called friend skips the town with $10,000, all the money. The desolate son has to return home and break the news to the family that their hope for a future has been stolen and the dreams for a better life are gone. His sister lashes out into him with a barrage of ugly words. She calls him every despicable thing she can think of. Her contempt for her brother has no limits. When she takes a breath in the midst of her tirade, the mother interrupts her and says, I thought I taught you to love him. The daughter answered, love him? There's nothing left to love. And the mother responds, there's always something left to love. And if you ain't learned that, you ain't learned nothing. Have you cried for that boy today? I don't mean for yourself and the family because we lost all that money. I mean for him, for what he's been through and what it's done to him, child. When do you think it's time to love somebody the most? When they've done good and make things easy for everybody? Well, then you ain't learning nothing because that ain't the time at all. It's when he's at his lowest and can't believe in himself because the world done whipped him so. When you start measuring somebody, measure him right, child. Measure him right. Make sure you take into account the hills and the valleys he came through before he got to where he is. There's always something left to love. To demonstrate love, when someone is at their lowest point in life is genuine love. This is when most people turn their back. And they say, what's the use? Why spend any more time? Why should I even pray for that person anymore? 
there's always something left to love. And God commands us to do that. Have sincere love. How about the Lord Jesus? What did he do? Remember the woman at the well? And all the disciples went into town to buy food. And Jesus out there by himself by the well. Here came this Samaritan woman. And uh, Jesus says, can you give me something to drink? Start talking. And uh, talk about water and water forever and whatever. And uh, Jesus tells her, hey, uh, ma'am, I, I know a few things about you. You've been married five times. And the guy you're with now is not your husband. Whoa! At her lowest point. How about the woman caught in adultery? Scribes and Pharisees picked up rocks ready to stone her to death. They brought her to Jesus and said, what are you going to do? What should we do here, Jesus? Remember he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go. At her lowest point. What about those outcast lepers who were healed? In each of these cases, the more Jesus demonstrated love to people, we're at their near their lowest point in life. We need to do the same. A young boy was overheard his playmate saying, wouldn't you hate wearing glasses all the time? No, came the answer. Not if they had some like my grandma's. She always sees when people are tired or sad. And she always knows just what to do to make them feel better. One day I asked her how she could see all that. See that way all the time. She told me it was the way she learned to look at things as she grew older. After thinking a minute, the first boy concluded, yeah, I think you're right. It must be her glasses. Yeah, we know better than that. There was a heart. And no doubt hers had to be the heart that had been touched by the heart of God. 2018, coming up. A thing to make that more livable and where God wants us to be, we need to love sin sincerely. Without hypocrisy. People you don't even think deserve to be loved. Well, they may not deserve to be loved. That's not a prerequisite. We just need to do it. Number two, abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. We need to, and that translation says this way, hate strongly. What? The Bible tells me to do that? It does. Hate strongly. We are told to hate what is evil. Hatred in general is not a good thing, but hatred for evil is something that is commanded by God and will also inspire us to do what's what's right. Jude 22 and 23 be helpful to all who may have doubts. Rescue any who need to be saved as you would rescue someone from a fire. Then with fear in your own hearts, have mercy on everyone who needs it. 
but hate even the clothes of those who have been made dirty by their filthy deeds. <laughs> We're to love the sinner, hate the sin. There's time to hate, time to take stand against evil in our world. You know, I don't have to explain to you what's going on in our nation today. But it seems like the government, seems like our schools, seems like everything is against the Bible and, and all kinds of stuff and profanity and obscenity is, is, is thumbing its nose at God. The Supreme Court is rebelling against God. Our Congress is hardened against God. And all and on and on it goes. We are to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. There is a time when we must take a stand against evil. If we truly stand for Christ, we must stand against evil. You probably have heard this before. I want to say it again. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Our stand must be strong and secure, but also decent and respectful. 1 Peter 3.15 But give honor to Christ in your hearts as to the Lord. And be ready at any time when you are questioned about the hope which is in you. To give an answer in the fear of the Lord and without pride. Do you hear what that said? Give an answer. Without pride. I understand why people are turned off against churches and Christians. Sometimes our answers to problems in other people's lives are coupled with pride. Hey, I, 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 I'm not bothered by that. Pride. Second Timothy 2, 24 and 25. And God's servants must not be troublemakers. They must be kind to everyone. They must be good teachers and very patient. Be humble when you correct people to, who oppose you. Maybe God will lead them to turn to him and learn the truth. We must gently instruct, teach, witness, testify, take a stand for the truth and against evil. A guy by the name of Eugene Debs was in prison as a conscientious objector. He became interested in a black man who is said to be incorrigible, devoid of any human goodness. Everybody thought, here's a black guy who had no goodness in him whatsoever, <coughs> since the man would not speak to anyone. To have started a campaign of kindness by leaving an orange on the man's bed and then going off without a word. Eventually, the two became friends. Years later, in the news of Deb's, Deb's death, the black man, now a useful citizen, said, he was the only Jesus Christ I ever knew. He was the only Jesus Christ I ever knew. We need to hate sin, but love the sinner. 
That's what Jesus did, and he did the most good. We must do as he did. We need to love sincerely. We need to hate evil, abhor it. Number three, keep yourselves fueled and aflame. That's verse 11 of Romans chapter 12 and the message translation. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Jude 21 says it's our job to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then this New Year necessity is Christian service. We need to serve more and the best we can. We must never be lacking in zeal. Oh man, hurry to Christian service. We need to, uh, one Sunday morning, around noon. And he said, is the service over? The one man said, the worship is over, but the service is only beginning. Christian service can take place within the worship and the programs of the church. It also takes place outside the church. Anything we do for Christ is better than nothing. One day, a guy by the name of Henry Ward Beecher was a preacher. And he was going for a drive. And a guy brought him back in the old days when they rode horses. A fine-looking horse to the door. And Beecher said, that's a fine-looking animal you have there. Is he, is, he good? is he as good as he looks? The man said, yes, this horse is the best in our stables. He will work any place you put him and can do anything. <laughs> Preacher smiled and said, Man, I wish he was part of my church. It's great when people are willing to serve any place, any time, regardless of special gifts or talents they might have. Now, some of us say, and I've said it, Believe me, I've said it many times. I can't do that. Or, that's not my cup of tea. Or, I don't have any ability in that area. That's one I say a lot. Obviously, not everyone can play the piano. That's me. And not everyone can sing a solo. That's me. But we all serve in various ways. When will we ever learn that many hands make light work and that the ministry is something not, is, is not something done to the church, but rather something done by the church? Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Christ chose some of us to be apostles, prophets, missionaries, pastors, teachers, so that the people will learn to serve his body and grow strong. The Lord's church to grow numerically and spiritually, we must begin involved and do whatever we can to serve. A minister lived in a town that a, a daily train went through every day. But this minister would rush down to the train station every single day, no matter what he was doing. He could be eating his meal. And the train's coming. He'd run down there and watch the train go by. And uh, it was called the, uh, uh, let's see, what was it called? The Sunset Limited. All right. And, and, and there was no chore he wouldn't interrupt to carry out his ritual. Well, members of his church 
stop this ritual very juvenile and worthless and ask him, would you please stop that? The minister said, no, I'm not going to. I won't give it up. I preach your sermons. I teach at Sunday school. I bury your dead. I marry your young people. I run your charities. I chair every drive that pleases you to conduct. I won't give up a meeting the Southern Pacific train every day. I love it. It's the only thing in this town I don't have to push. <laughs> we shouldn't have to push people to serve. Church at Loveland, I don't feel like we need to do that here, but I think we can all do better in serving diligently. Louis Pasteur, world-renowned French chemist and biologist who founded science and microbiology, proved the germ theory of disease, invented the process of pasteurization, and developed vaccines for several diseases. Here's what he said. In what I, in what I, what way can I be of service to humanity? My time and energy belong to mankind. And guess what our Lord said in Matthew 20, 26 to 28. Let it not be so among you. If anyone has desire to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever has a desire to be first among you, let him take the lowest place. Even the son of man did not come to have servants, but to be a servant and to give his life for the salvation of men. Christ came to serve. We too must do the best that we can. Three things, 2018. Love, sincerely. Number two, abhor evil in a kind way. Number three, keep fueled in a flame. Keep burning. Keep energetic. Keep enthusiasm going. We're going to see a video, and it's called What If. Please, listen. Our life is a story. It has a beginning and an end. Each of its volumes are filled with tales of great victory and disappointing failure. But one thing is certain. Those moments shape who we are in the present, and they affect our decisions for the future. Many times what stands out from those moments are the failures. The time reveals our numerous unkept resolutions and promises. We resolve to lose those extra pounds, quit that addiction, or become more devout in our faith. But these resolutions often prove difficult to achieve. Perhaps the key to overcoming our struggles lies not in the resolution, but in the motives which drive us. We cannot achieve anything without Christ's guiding hand. His word tells us, whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men. Our success does not come from just one decision to change. It comes from a daily decision to walk with Him. What if today we made a resolution that mattered? What if we resolve to invest more time into our families. 
neighbor as ourselves. To right our wrongs. To pray not at God, but to God. To give without expectation of receiving. What if we made a resolution to become more like Christ? And today, let us make a resolution to struggle for God's glory and not our own. Even though the future is still unwritten, our story has only just begun. Let's pray. God, Father, please work in the hearts of each one here, all of us. We want to serve you. We want to live like you. Fashion our lives and our thoughts and our intentions and our words as you would. God, help us. 2018 to make this year an outstanding one, an amazing one. Our own personal growth, letting us love others without hypocrisy. Let's take a stand and hate evil. And let us do with fervency and not burn out. Help us, God, to do that this year. I pray these things in Christ's name.